Thank you, Chase, and thank you, William, for leading us in worship today. Andy fell ill latter part of the week, and William just picked right up, and we're so grateful for your ministry among us and your friendship. Today's uh, text of Scripture is Psalm 100, verse 3. Psalm 100, verse 3. I'll read the whole of the psalm, giving emphasis to verse 3. Hear the Word of God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with jubilation. Come before him with rejoicing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courtyards with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his faithfulness to all generations. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us. And not we ourselves. We are his people. Our good and our holy God, we give you thanks on this Lord's day for being God and being good. And for creating us. For giving us life. Lord, we pray as we open your word today that you would speak to our hearts. That we would understand something of what it means to be your creatures. That you would guide us in the way. That you would shine light for our path. That you would encourage us and correct us and instruct us. Lord, that you would tear down idols of pride. That you would build us up in our weakness. Lord, we come to your word hungry. and We ask you boldly, Lord, to speak that our souls would hear We pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts that are tender, that would receive your word like a seed planted in good soil. God, we pray that you give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. We pray that you'd make our hands, our frames strong, that our work in this world would be like your own. And God, we pray that a word of life and hope would be found on our lips. This, our Lord, This, our Lord, is our prayer, and we pray in the name of Jesus the Christ, our Savior and friend, and we say together, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Name, image, likeness. It's printed in bold letters right on the front of your worship guide. Some of you have already picked up on the evocative nature of those three words. I've gotten text messages this morning, first from Sean Hunt, asking if we're going to give every college student who is here uh, a big endorsement deal this morning. Uh, Name, image, and likeness. These are words that are floating around our culture uh, because this is Texas. And we're really big on, on college athletics. And, and a few years back, not, not terribly long ago, there was a case that came before the Supreme Court of the United States of America, the NCAA versus Austin. 
Uh, this is one of the rare occasions where the Supreme Court was unanimous in a decision. And, and, and before the court was the question about whether college athletes should be paid uh, for playing the sports that they, that they played in. Uh, and it was a very complicated discussion. Many things went, were involved. But the Supreme Court voted unanimously that, hey, a lot of money's flowing. And somebody's getting it. And there's a basic question of fairness. Basic question of who has the rights to a person's name, their image, and their likeness. Before the Supreme Court was a big question of humanity, of what it means to be a person. And if you really look at it, everything that comes before the great court, to some degree or another, has to do with the question of what does it mean to be a human? And how does a human relate to other humans? And how do we make sense of ourselves in this earth? And what are our responsibilities one to another? Basic, fundamental questions of identity, likeness, and name. As Christians, we have a appointed responsibility to think deeply about it, what it means to be humans. If you look in the old systematic theologies, there would be sections called the doctrine of man. The newer ones, the doctrine of humanity. And some of them, anthropology. And in those sections of those books, it explored the great question, what does it mean to be a human? Robert Jensen said that the anthropological question is, what sort of thing am I? Have you ever wondered, have you ever looked in the mirror and wondered, what sort of thing am I? Plenty of people go through life without answering or even asking these great questions of what it means to be human. But for followers of Jesus, it's important for us to ask and answer the question, what sort of thing am I? For the next few weeks, I want to offer a few words that help us wrap our mind around that question of humanity, uh, of being a man or woman in this earth. And, and, and the words are creature, icon, Adam, sinner, and saint. Creature, icon, Adam, sinner, and saint. You got to come all the weeks to get all of those words, explore. But today we're going to start with that first word, creature. When we ask the question, what sort of thing am I? One of the words that Christians need to use is, I am a creature. And this great verse of scripture in Psalm 100, verse 3, has so many things to teach us about it, what it means to be a creature, a creature of God. I want to give you a couple of principles. The first, we got to start with this one. God is, okay, write this down with your pencils. God is God. God is God. That's what it says right here in the text. The Lord himself is God. So when you ask the question as a follower of Christ, what sort of thing am I? You really don't even begin with yourself. You have to begin with God. And God is God. Which means a number of things. One, God is other. He's different than us. That God is superior, that he is supreme. You have some great images throughout the Bible of, of how God is different and stronger and bigger and better 
than us. There's a great dream in Daniel chapter 2 where the leader of the country just lays in bed at night wrestling with these dreams. And there is a rock not made by hands that is dominant over all the kingdoms of the earth. There are two kind of things in this world. There's God and everything else. And God is God other and grander. God is active in this earth. God, the Lord himself, he is God. Many times in this church, from this pulpit, I've talked to you about Charles Taylor and his views about the moment that we're in. And he, he, he often said that we are dwelling in an imminent frame in this current moment. We're living in an age and a time where God is nudged out of our world and is not necessary for any explanation for our lives. And into this world, Bart dropped a bomb in the middle of the theologians when he said very plainly, God is God. And the controversial part of that was not God because there's plenty of people who live without any real need for God or, or awareness that God is at work in this earth who still have room for God. Some distant old chum that can be invited to the party but shouldn't ever stay beyond his welcome. God is God. The controversial part, Andy Root said, is the word is. Listen to what Root said. He said the God part of Bart's statement, God is God, is not what's staggering. Rather, in this imminent frame, it, it, it opposes or obscures the is, which in turn delivers unto us a secular age. This is what makes Bart's statement important. The imminent frame retains the concept of God, but disconnects God from the is. The is confesses that God is not a concept or an agent moving in history. He's an agent and he's penetrating the frame. He's coming to those in this frame with judgment and grace. He is the Lord of Israel. He is the God on the move. He is the architect and the instrument and the animating force and the aliveness. He is, he is God. And God is. And that's where it all begins. And then the psalmist moves from this affirmation that the Lord, he himself is God. And he says, this God, the God that is, he made us. He made us. Let's say that together. He made us. And that means we are creatures. When we ask, what kind of thing am I? The answer that is faithful to the text is we are creations of a God that is. Now, Christians for many years have disagreed over the how of creation, but no faithful Christian has ever said God is not the creator. It's fundamental to who we are. It's a fundamental affirmation of our faith that God is and that God made us. Millard Erickson said, there are some basic alternatives to this. 
He said there are a couple of things that could be true if God didn't make us. He said one of, the, one of the answers to the question when you leave God out is that we're animals, mere animals. I remember in college one time I was talking to a guy, a very materialistic view of the world. I mean, not greedy materialistic, just, hey, this is what is. And we were talking about life, and we were talking about God, and we were talking about a God that creates, and it's all troubling for him. And, and I finally asked him, I said, man, does this just all boil down to math for you? He said, no. He said, there's also glands. He says, it's math and glands and the stuff of the earth. It's all, it's all there is. Maybe we're just animals. Or maybe we're machines. This is the one that seems to be most common. This is the one that is most compelling for so many people. Maybe we're human doers. Maybe we are to be measured by what we can accomplish in this earth. Maybe we are to go see the person who's in charge of human resources. Maybe we're a resource. Maybe we're just machines. When you read newspaper articles about about elderly people in medical situations and they come to them and they lay out the alternatives and they're pressured toward a decision of euthanasia and one of the reasons being the daily cost of their care they no longer can contribute very much in this earth you begin to realize that there are some very sophisticated people in very civilized settings to think we're all just a bunch of machines. Well, if God is not God and he didn't make us, maybe that makes sense. Erickson said we also could be pawns just sort of up against forces and situations beyond our control that we live in a world that's lifeless and we're part of it, and we just got to figure out how to make our way. In this category, he gave the example of, of Camus Sisyphus, that guy who just was constrained to this Greek hell who had to push a boulder up the hill every single day, boom, 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 every single day. Camus said he made peace with that rock. And in his absurd, pointless life, he just made peace. He said, you must think of Sisyphus as happy. There's an old Hebrew word for that. No, it was, it was absurd. He said, well, maybe, maybe it's just absurd. Sartre did the same thing. He said, look, he, he listened for the world to speak, and he heard only silence. He wrote a novel called Nausea because he said, when you discover that this is a silent world, a silent, lifeless world, you just get nauseous. Maybe we're just stuck pushing the rock. I was introduced to this philosophy not through any of the philosophers, but through a cult-following film from my generation, a movie called Reality Bites, starring Ethan Hawke. It's down in Houston, and there's this scene where he is this college dropout philosophy student, no cooler than could be, and he said, I, I said my father brought me down to this beach out just south of Houston, our neck of the woods, when he found out he had cancer and he gave me a big pink shell and he said, son, inside of this shell are all the answers. 
He said, I looked in the shell and I recognized that that shell was empty. He said, so I take pleasure in the details. He said, I enjoy a double cheeseburger, the sound of the rain, that moment when your laugh turns to a cackle. He said, so I smoke my camel straights and I ride my own melt. Pure Camus. If life is absurd, just lean into the cheeseburgers and enjoy the details. These are the alternatives. And they're everywhere. They're in popular culture. They're in academic writing. They're the water we're swimming in. When the world asks the question, what kind of thing am I? Many times they answer with these answers. But the scripture says, God is God and God made us. Maybe just maybe the world is not lifeless. Maybe just maybe, as John Anderson once told me, everything is connected to everything else because God is God and he made us. Maybe just maybe there's a singing voice out there and it calls back. Maybe just maybe there is a God that sings. Maybe as an alternative to this silence that causes a nausea, there is a voice that cries out. In Harmut Rose's book, Resonance, he said this, God is at bottom the notion of a responsive world. God radiates worldliness. From this perspective, religion, from the Latin to connect or bind, is in fact a relationship, one which promises the categories of love and meaning as a guarantee that the basic primal form of existence is relationship, not alienation, but resonance. Maybe, just maybe, in this moment where people feel so alienated, we can point to the fact that there is an opportunity to slow and listen and hear. Not the emptiness in the shell, but the whisper of the Spirit. Scripture teaches us that in Him all things hold together. Nowhere have I seen the contrast of this silence of the world and resonance held together more beautifully than in two paragraphs from a novel written by Robert Penn Warren. In the novel, A Place to Come To, he tells the story of being a young man who left a small little denominational college in rural Alabama where he went to play ball, but they discovered he was, he was smart and he had a Greek professor who invested in him. And he wound up in Chicago to study classics because he had one teacher that believed in him. And he went to Chicago to study the great thoughts of the world. And he checked into a YMCA. And he was alone, 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 far from home, uh, far from his little college and the people he knew, all alone in the Windy City. And this is how he narrates what happened. It was only late morning, but I went back to my room at the YMCA and I lay down on my cot. I stared at the ceiling. 
I felt reality flooding away from all sides like the retreating tide that left me stranded like a jellyfish to rot on a rock in the sun. I lay on my cot and felt a lightheaded nausea of blankness, of placelessness, timelessness, of ultimate loneliness. I remember saying out loud, this is my life. At last I felt in the sodden sleep. It was dark when I awoke, the rhythmic roar and drone of the city like the beat of a distant sea penetrating my room. From the darkness of my cot, I looked up at the reddish glow from below my window that flushed the pebbly plaster of the ceiling. The intensity varied rhythmically. It seemed to be synchronized with the rhythmic variation of the roar and drone of the city. Then it seemed to me that that double rhythm was timed to the beat of my own heart, that it had insinuated itself into my very being. I found tears coming into my eyes at what was so clearly the discovery at last of a mystic relation between myself and the world. All things hold together in him because he is God and he has made us and he's made us to connect and not to be isolated. So many of us can identify with that sudden loneliness that floods our hearts that first night we wake up in a dorm room. God is God. And he made you. And he made you for life and love and connection. And everything is connected to everything else. Because God is God. God is God. God made us. Three. Here, this is really great. We did not make ourselves. That seems to be implied. It seems like it could have been. But you know what? The psalmist just said it. <laughs> he said, we didn't make ourselves. Listen to me, friends. You are free not to be God. I shouldn't have to say that, but I do. I shouldn't have to say it to myself, but I do. You don't have to be God because God is God. And you don't have to follow that rabbit down that lonely road of expressive individualism where you feel the burden to make yourself and offer it up to the world. You're not a blank canvas. You're not a lump of clay to do with it what you want. We don't make ourselves. And this doesn't diminish our humanity, friends. It puts it in its proper place and it highlights it. Behind me is a beautiful musical instrument and printed on it is Steinway and Sons. I remember the day that they delivered this piano into this sanctuary. I was sitting up in the balcony watching two men do it. And for just about 30 minutes, this piano sat next to the old piano. And I thought the old piano was just fine until it sat next to this one. And from the balcony, I began to recognize one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> Why is the name on the side? Because the maker matters. The maker matters. 
Here's the affirmation you need this morning. God is God. He made you. You didn't make yourself. The fourth principle, we are his. Colossians 3.16, all things have been created through him and for him. The creator has laid a claim on your life. He's looked at you and said, mine, mine. And this should make us celebrate. This should make us shout because this creator is good. That's what the psalm says. Psalm 100 verse 5, for the Lord is good. It's not some kind of weird science where God made us to manipulate us and mistreat us and use us and abuse us. No. We can celebrate God making a claim on our life because God who made us is a good God. He is a good God. And he loves people. Not only does he love people, he loves you. You. And he's good. During Jonathan Edwards' day, there was a big controversy over whether people were made to bring glory to God or, or did God make people to give them happiness? And Jonathan Edwards decided that a good way to answer that was just to say, yes. He said, don't fight over things you shouldn't fight about. These things don't, they're not separated. They belong together. And Edwards says, God's respect to the creature's good and his respect to himself is not a divided respect. But both are united in one, as the happiness of the creature aimed at its happiness is union with himself. The great answer to the question of the Westminster Shorter Confession, what is the chief end of man? Meaning, what's the point of your one human life? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God is God. He made you. You didn't make yourself. He's laid a claim on your life, and this is good and should result in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. What kind of thing are you? Well, to begin with, you're a creature of a good God. You're a creature of a good God. And you were made to enjoy and to worship the Lord who made you. And that's good news. Judson Cornwall once said, worship is a response. The simplest definition of worship is love responding to love. Until there is an awareness of God's love flowing into our lives, there is nothing to respond to. Worship then requires an acquaintance with the object of our affection. As you ask yourself who you are, you've got to ask who is God. He's the creator. He's the good creator. You were made by him. You were made for him. And this is his glory. And this is your good. And his love has flowed into our life. It flowed in making us. And as we'll progressively see, it flowed in redeeming us and saving us. But his love flows. It's flowed to you. Will you return thanks to him? Let's stand and pray. Our good and our holy God, we are so grateful that we do not live in a dead world.
But Lord, we live in a world that's been touched by your grace that you made and you made for yourself, for your glory and for our good. Lord, I pray those of us that know you that we would today return our thanks and our praise to you with renewed and enraptured hearts that we would say afresh, Lord, we love you because you loved us first. Lord, for people in this room who, for whom this is all foreign and, and new, but Lord, it might be interesting. Lord, I pray that you would stir their hearts and draw them to yourself as you reveal yourself to them as creator and redeemer and sustainer of life. Lord, as we sing today, may we settle the decisions of our heart, this next place you've called us to. For some of us, Lord, perhaps it's a decision that we need to make publicly in this room today to follow you or to unite with this church. Lord, we thank you for being God the God that is, we thank you for being good. We thank you in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. And if the Lord has called you to respond, we invite you to respond for his glory and for your good. William.